The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. And Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Fight fans. It is Thursday, November 29th, and this is the Fistionados podcast. I'm your host, Evan Rutkowski, former HBO Sports Marketing Executive giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email me at fistionados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistionadospod. I will get back to almost everyone on on both. It does take me a little bit longer on email. This week, we're going to look at the Fox PBC deal. And let's get right into it because before that, there's the review and... Top rank in ESPN on November 16th. Interesting experiment done by them. There's a long-held view, and I've talked about this before on the pod, that boxing and NBA basketball audiences have a lot of crossover, uh, a lot of similarly, uh, <clears throat> what I'd say, not just demographic fans, but but similar in terms of audience profile and it is similar in terms of demographics as well, but we're talking age groups. We're talking there's there's a lot of things that cross over. Um, ESPN televised the Maurice Hooker Alex Saucedo fight on Friday night. Started around midnight, East Coast. Here's the results: Mo Hooker defeats Alex Saucedo by KO seven after getting dropped in the second round. Starting after midnight, or or essentially at midnight on the East Coast, the show essentially does an average of 950,000 viewers, peaks at over a million. It was the six-rated cable show of the night on that Friday night. The important context here, the NBA game preceding it on ESPN was the number two show of the night, averaging 1.7 million viewers. And that was actually a blowout. It lost some viewers towards the end. The first game of the doubleheader was the number one cable show of the night, averaging 1.8 million viewers. It's a good to great result. Um, it's not amazing, though, no matter what you'll read from anyone, a journalist or whatever, who's just talking, you know, sort of taking the top rank talking points or, or comparing numbers from earlier fights. Um, the good news is it was a really TV-friendly fight. It wasn't one with a huge name that would draw a big audience on its own. So I think you can point to that and say, hey, that's a great sign. On the surface, draws a big audience. It gets a lot more viewers than a fight of this stature would get with no major lead-in. That's all great for boxing. Um, I think you can also say it got a really strong rating because, it, I mean, it basically came on as midnight. I mean, very rarely does the six-rated cable show of the night start that late. That's really impressive. For full context, though, in the previous weeks, there's sort of like an NBA wrap-up show that goes on for about 15 or 20 minutes after the Friday night games. And if you just look at the week before November 2nd, that got about 
<clears throat> the late game got about 1.7 million viewers. Then that show on its own did 1.3 million viewers. So it retained the audience a little bit better. The sports center that would come on right after that got about 900,000 viewers, but it quickly tailed off. You know, Sports Center, I'll remind you, you guys know, is a studio show, generally really cheap to make. In fact, when you don't factor in talent costs or the highlight fees or rights fees involved, it's really cheap to make. But going back to the fight from, from the Friday the 16th, Sports Center on the fight still did over 600,000 viewers. So in aggregate, even when you take in the full context where it's not, this isn't just some blowout victory because when you look at the other factors, you're like, well, there's some other stuff. Like they did get this rated here and the sports center was still very comparable to the fight. The fact that the sports center after this got 600,000, that's pretty impressive because that basically extends a full hour after the original start time. It gets... You follow up the second rated show of the night. You get the top rated show of the night. You follow that up with the second rated show of the night. Then follow that up with a sixth rated show of the night that lasts an hour instead of just 20 minutes. And even though it lost a decent bit of viewers, it actually built some viewership back. And then you still follow with a decently rated sports center. All in all, it's, it's still a win. The caveat here is just, it's not a home run when you look at all the factors. So... Good, not great. You kind of get the point at this at, at this point. <clears throat> Saturday, November seventeenth, the zone put on a card, um, and I said beforehand this was pretty cynical. Nothing changed my opinion. Jarrell Big Baby Miller won by KO four against Bogdan Dinu. Dinu actually probably won the first round or two before he just kind of got dominated. I mean, this changes very little for Miller, other than it kept him in a constant training camp and it got him paid. You know, which are both great for him, but I didn't really need to watch this one. Clarissa Shields won by unanimous decision over Hannah Rankin to defend her middleweight titles. This was not the most exciting fight to watch live. On the card, we also saw Nico Hernandez win by unanimous decision over Jesus Morales in an eight-round fight. Brandon Rios wins by KO9 over Ramon Alvarez. Uh, Gabriel Rosado and Luis Arias fight to a draw. Let's go through these quickly because I don't think there's a whole lot of takeaways Shields' victory just wasn't that entertaining for me, uh, and given the lack of talent in most uh, sort of women's boxing divisions, it may take some time to build some of the bigger fights, because as we've been over in this podcast before, there are some big names out there. They're mostly different weight classes. Um, I just, I don't think to myself, must tune in after watching Shields in this fight. Rios... His win shows that he can still make really great TV if matched properly. He was matched correctly with Alvarez. It was great TV, but there was a moment when Sugar Ray Leonard, son of the broadcast, to put him in with an elite fighter or something. I can't remember exactly what he said. I mean, we saw that just a few months ago, and Danny Garcia put a dangerous beating on Brandon Rios. It's hard to watch Rios do any kind of interview or fight and think to yourself, there's not going to be anything other than real quality of life issues for him after he retires from boxing. And it makes it hard to watch him fight for me. I think at best we are tiptoeing that line right now. Like I still enjoyed this fight <clears throat> when you think about and, and it's not to say that he has terrible defense. He slips punches, he, you know, but you're still at best tiptoeing this line at worst. You're all the way over the line, and as a network executive, you should just realize that it's borderline irresponsible to put him on TV. 
All that being said, I know the dude still wants to fight. He said he wants to fight for a few more years. And if matched correctly, look, that was a fun fight to watch. It was probably the most fun fight to watch on anything I saw on this, this whole card. The Rosado Aries fight, that was okay. It was an okay result. Um, Nico Hernandez is interesting. We got a ways to go there. Overall, this is like a C-minus effort from DeZone. And remember, this was originally supposed to be one of those massive cards where they were originally talking about Sergio Martinez versus Chavez Jr., I mean, funny to see how that's worked out. <clears throat> and then there's a change of locations. Look, early on in the process, you get a mulligan or two. I think the zone can take one here. I can't say I would have bothered watching this card, though, if I wasn't going to talk about it on the podcast. I mean, I probably would have watched the Miller fight at some point, but this is not must-see TV. On Saturday, November 24th, HBO had their penultimate fight card. We had Mirajan... Akhmadaliev, or MJ, beat Isaac Zarate by KO. With the referee stopped the fight in the ninth round of the opener, Dimitri Bivol wins the main event by wide unanimous decision. The card doesn't average of 467,000 viewers, peaking at 537,000 viewers. Going into this fight, I thought this could be the lowest rated card in HBO history. I'll say this. Boxing is a resilient sport. These were meh fights on a network that has completely abandoned the sport, stopped promoting it at all. Like, lots of the people who subscribe just for boxing are gone, and it still does numbers that, while they're terrible for HBO, they really aren't crazy bad in the grand scheme of things, considering all these factors. Here are the takeaways for the fighters. Bevel is going to have lots of options. He clearly... Could have had them before this fight, but he wanted to be the A-side in the main event on HBO. He took less money to do it. Um, a lot of people thought this fight was boring, or that at least it got boring. I didn't necessarily think it got boring. I just thought it got it was mismatched the entire time. I didn't really need to see it. Bevel, I want Bevel tested by one of the real guys at this weight class. There's lots of really great fighters at this weight class. HBO, they put on a good one in August with Kovalev and Alvarez. Showtime's putting a good one on this, you know, two days from now. Like, I really don't need to see too many more of these kind of fights for any of the top guys like Bevel, who really haven't been in super tough yet. Like, Bevel's fought the sort of the B-minus guys in this way. And, and that's not to say Pascal was clearly an A minus or B plus guy in this weight class. But now, you know, and we kind of knew that coming in, he wasn't like that. Now I need to see b get in against the top guys. Maybe if, you know, even I, I want to see all of them. Let's not, it's not even just b I mean, maybe if you have a couple tough fights in a row at this weight class, you get a pass on, on a lesser opponent once I mean, maybe Beter Biev, if he just took one more stay busy fight, I'm okay with that because he, he had a lot of inactivity. But let's just have these guys go at it. <clears throat> On to the undercard. Uh, MJ. Look, I don't have a lot to say about him. I think he's talented. It's more embarrassing that HBO would put on a fight like this. Like I said, he is talented. Uh, you saw some signs there. But this is the kind of fight that would be on Showtime Extreme or ESPN Plus before an ESPN card, or one of DAZN's early undercard fights. It had no business being the co-main event for HBO. News and notes. I'm going to skip over this stuff today for the most part. The one thing I'll say is I'll definitely talk about the DAZN streaming deal with MLB 
and Amazon's interest in the RSNs, primarily the Yes Network. Um, given that the RSNs have come up for sale in this whole Disney Fox merger mess, uh, probably more about that next episode. I'm not sure quite. I don't really know what I'm going to do next episode. I was planning on doing like a viewer experience type of thing, but I think I'm going to leave that until we at least get a fight or two from Fox. Um, so maybe next episode's heavier on news and notes. Maybe I'll look at a couple of weight classes or something like that. I'm not really sure yet. Um, by the way, email me with any thoughts or ideas that you want to that you want to hear about. Um, you know, and even before I get into the deep dive, I apologize for the cold. This my, my bronchitis is over. That ended an episode or two ago. This is just a cold from traveling across the country with a two-year-old um, for Thanksgiving. So apologize if I sound a little nasally. For the deep dive this week, I wanted to look at the Fox schedule and just do an initial analysis on what they're trying to do with that upfront they did and the schedule they rolled out. I want to look at what it means for the PBC in general, including both Fox and Showtime for the upcoming year, and then what it means for the entire landscape of the sport. <clears throat> so first thing I'm going to do here is just go through some of the cards that we're going to see. We've talked about the December 22nd fight card on Fox featuring the Charlo brothers, not in against great opponents. The FS1 portion of this deal kicks off with Jose Uzcateki fighting Caleb Plant on January 13th, which is a Sunday night and also an extremely important NFL playoff weekend since there is the divisional playoffs. So that's why you're getting it on Sunday night instead of Saturday night because there's the Saturday night game. Uh, it's a pretty solid fight for FS1. It's obviously, you know, that's not as high profile as Big Fox. Um... Also in January, but on Big Fox, Keith Thurman making his comeback fighting against Josecito Lopez, Adam Kanowski against Joe Washington on the undercard. It's January 26th, so that's the Saturday in between football conference championship games and the Super Bowl. I don't mind <clears throat> either of these fights, especially if you're not paying for them. Keith Thurman has faced a lot of injuries. And Jose Cito Lopez is fine as a comeback fight for him. There's nothing wrong with that. There's really nothing wrong with that heavyweight fight on the undercard, too. February 16th on Big Fox, Leo Santa Cruz fights Miguel Flores with Omar Figueroa and Johnny Molina in what should be a really fun undercard fight. Scheduling note, this is NBA All-Star Weekend, which doesn't conflict with the actual All-Star game, but rather the skills contest. So you see where this is going. I mean, you've probably heard me say before that boxing has a strong crossover audience with the NBA. You heard, <clears throat> you heard it probably about 10 minutes ago. Um, but the bottom line is this is a fight with a predetermined outcome. Uh, it is clearly, as I'll get to later, probably a scenario of Fox wanting to do something on a Saturday night, not wanting to compete with the NBA. You're kind of getting probably the worst fight, um, at least main event fight on this night, kind of a dump. Uh, February 23rd. Anthony Durrell facing Avni Yildirium for a vacant title at 168, which was formerly David Benavidez's belt, so it's kind of staying in the PBC universe. This is on FS1. Um, and let me just pause here before rattling off the other fights because you'll start to notice a pattern here. And it's not good. I mean, it's not really – there's nothing – like I said, there's nothing terrible except maybe that Jose, the, the Luis Santa Cruz fight. Like, these fights are fine. I want more Keith Thurman in my life. I think even if I was paying for these via Showtime subscription, I'd be fine with all these fights airing. 
they feel just like good undercards or subpar main events that I'm fine with as long as I'm also getting, you know, the, the prime stuff. Like, this is kind of like the burger on the menu. And sometimes you want a burger, but I, you know, I like New York Strip too, and I like filet mignon too, and, you know, porterhouse and all that other stuff. So we haven't seen any of that yet, though. We're not really, like, they're all kind of setup fights. So look, on to March, <clears throat> Sean Porter fighting your Dennis Ugas on March 9th on Big Fox. This is the first fight where I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm marking this down on my calendar. I like Porter. Ugas impressed me with his skills. So, you know, it's not a fight I'm rearranging my life for, but I'm intrigued by this fight. It's also a week before Fox's first pay-per-view fight, so bravo for not messing that part of the equation up. Um, and then after Spence Garcia, which we've talked about at length here on the show before this one, we go to FS1 for a really great fight with Lamont Peterson taking on Sergey Lipinets. This is on Sunday, March 24th. Remember, that's the first weekend of March Madness in the NCAA tournament. It's a great FS1 main event. I mean, I might actually be more excited about that than some of the, you know, at least the the Santa Cruz Fox main event for sure. I mean, but that's a really good one. Two more fights to round out the schedule. April 13th, Fox Sports 1, Peter Quillen will fight Caleb Truax. And then on April 20th, Danny Garcia returns and fights Adrian Granados in what probably is going to be a fun fight, but ultimately an easy win for Garcia. But it's disappointing about given the news we heard about Terrence Crawford. I didn't go over this in news and notes. Apparently, Crawford and Top Rank made an offer to fight Danny Garcia, but it was through Garcia and his father rather than Al Heyman and the PBC. I don't really know what to make of it. <clears throat> There's a lot of different ways to analyze that part. Let's skip over it for right now. Maybe we'll talk about that next episode. So, look, let's go one step beyond just listing the fights and giving sort of initial reactions to them. And let's start asking some real questions here. The first being, what do we think Fox is actually doing? We've talked about the boxing landscape as a whole, and I think it's pretty clear that this six-month period for DAZN could be the most critical period of time for the streaming service and how fights are going to impact subscriptions on the service. So I'm, you know, I've always been thinking like, if you're ESPN, if you're Fox, if you're Showtime, you've got to come out strong and make sure that you can compete. You know DAZN is going to bring their A game. What that really means is you can't just disappear when your competition should be putting its best foot forward. You need to remind consumers that they don't need DAZN. You're offering them a fantastic product on either free TV or as part of ESPN Plus or Showtime subscription service. But that's clearly not what's happening here. So what actually is happening here? Why am I only really excited about a couple of these fights? Fox is paying $60 million a year for this, which is probably close to what Showtime spent on two, in 2018 on boxing. <clears throat> and we've kind of seen like this is kind of like half the schedule. It's close to half the schedule, maybe 40% of it right here. So why did I like Showtime's first half of 2018 so much better than this list of fights? And I think the answer is multifaceted, but I also don't want to blow anyone's mind here. 
you know, I've maintained from the get-go that this deal with Fox, it has the highest variance of any TV deal out there. If the fights are good, if they promote it properly alongside some of their other properties and identify the right crossover fan bases, then it could go great. Everyone's first reaction when they see these fights getting made, though, is going to be, well, these fights aren't exactly what's going to do it. And I mean, that's true. But my best guess as to what they're really doing here is trying to set up some bigger fights down the road. Get people like Thurman, Porter, Garcia, some time in front of what should be a larger audience and then build to bigger plot lines and stories down the road. I don't really like that, but I do understand part of it. Fox's best time for sports programming is the fall. And while this flies right in the face of what Steven Espinosa has, has said about boxing, that it's a December through August season, Steven Espinosa is the head of Showtime, not Fox. It's understandable to me that Fox would want their best matchups in the fall. That's when they have the NFL on both Thursday nights and Sunday afternoons. They got college football. They got the MLB playoffs. I mean, college football is a Saturday night thing, but it's not crazy for them to have a couple big fights in the early fall before the big games really kick in, like in conjunction with college football. See, a lot of people out there thought that this boxing deal was just a direct replacement for the UFC. And it's, it's pretty clear to me that it's a little different. It's something different. Yes, there's notable similarities, <clears throat> including some of the executives working on the sport were clearly just switched over from working on the UFC. And they're not really boxing people. But I notice a lot of differences as well. Notably, the UFC only had four main events on Big Fox and was responsible for filling an incredible amount of tonnage on FS1. It was Saturday night filler before Fox Sports really had started getting some of the properties like college football, college basketball, all these other things that were more regular, you know, more mainstream sports. You know, the irregularity of only having one card a quarter on Big Fox meant that those shows stopped being must-see TV and they were more confusing than anything else to viewers. 10 cards on Big Fox and 12 on FS1 feels a lot different. It feels like boxing fits much more into their bigger picture strategy shift for Big Fox than what, you know, and we've talked about that on this show before where Fox is shifting away from scripted dramas and comedies and, and more towards live big events. And maybe, just maybe, we will see some of these bigger events right at the time of the year when Fox needs them. They clearly have some gaps in their year-long schedule, and they could be looking up, looking at building up some bigger events, like doing that kind of thing, like filling those gaps. Like, Of course, they should still be looking to find creative ways to do similar stuff to what ESPN is doing, like what they did with the Crawford fight, like taking one of their better college football games in the late afternoon or early evening and trying to retain as, and cross over as much audience as possible. They can definitely do that with baseball. You know, we've already seen some level of commitment to this. I mean, there have been a few references to boxing on Fox's NFL Sunday coverage. The thing is, that all sounds great in theory, and that's exactly what Fox should be doing. But as core boxing fans, many of us are incredibly skeptical of getting anything better than what Fox has already announced. The PBC has a demonstrated history of taking lots of money and not putting on great fights. And to be fair, other promoters have a history of doing this as well. It's not just the PBC, but the PBC was sort of the last one to do it on major networks. And it, it was like they at least begrudgingly put on some of the bigger fights only a low percentage of the time. 
it's been a universal critique of the last big sort of time buy that they did. And that the universal critique is also that like at the end of the day, Al Heyman is a manager first, second, and third. And only after does he worry about making like he, he only worries about making the big fights after he takes care of all his fighters. Like that's why you've heard everyone thank Al Heyman, yada, yada, yada. And he is a great manager. He's the best one in the business pretty much in terms of like the roster he controls and the amount of money he makes for his fighters with the amount of risk attached to the fights. Steven Espinoza has basically been the only network executive to date who's actually forced him into making really strong fights. And that goes back to exactly why this has the highest variance here. If casual fans don't respond to these level fights and it doesn't build the unifications and the big names don't fight each other, it's like, this might be an easy one where you don't need to tell me what happens next. Because if I was in charge of boxing on Fox, this isn't what I'd be doing. I'd want to come out of the gates very strong with a big name fight. I mentioned this on the last podcast, but it's worth repeating. When you sign deals like this, if you want long-term sponsors, then you'll want to get a great rating on an early show and use that strong audience base to promote all your upcoming fights. A great early rating also delivers strong numbers right away to your sponsors. It gives you a better chance of attracting more sponsors. And look, I want to experiment. Like I said, you you do the, the what ESPN has kind of been doing with Top Rank. That you know, I know Fox doesn't have the NBA, but they also have baseball. They have baseball on most Saturday nights throughout the summer. I mean, there's plenty of time to do some experimentation here. But this all is. It all begs like a larger question. $60 million a year is a lot for boxing, but it's only one game of Thursday night football in the the NFL for Fox. It's only half of what the UFC was getting towards the end of their contract with Fox. It's about a quarter of what they pay for the Big Ten contract for football, and it's even a smaller fraction, about a tenth of what Fox pays for baseball. Now, I'm not suggesting here that Fox doesn't care about it, but something I mentioned very early on in talking about this deal is that it'll be last on their priority list if this strategy shift for Fox isn't working out. Because remember, there's also the WWE. This is about, I don't know, somewhere in between a third and a fourth of that deal as well. Like that, Even though that's not technically a, a sport, that's live scripted programming. In fact, this deal for boxing, it might just be more useful for them as a lower level gap filler in the right moment. Remember, these fights on Big Fox, they're Saturday nights, or at least that's all we've seen right now, but baseball is on 7 p.m. Eastern every Saturday night during the summer, and Fox re-upped its package with the MLB through 2028. College football gets Saturday nights during the fall, Like I said earlier, I think with both these sports, you can kind of do some weird scheduling things. You can try to make them work out. But Fox doesn't feel as committed to making this work as ESPN does. ESPN is a network based on sports, and they don't have local news to deal with. It's not really a fair comparison, to be perfectly honest. It's kind of apples and oranges. just kind of feels like Fox might be experimenting more with the sport. And they could be fine with numbers that aren't great, but they just kind of hold the line. And then there's like the Steven Espinoza factor to all this. Espinoza could be some kind of like mad scientist, like some mad genius that 
We're seeing the fruits of his labor with this deal. He could be getting all the big fights on Showtime. These build-up fights, like, they're happening on Fox. They may not actually lead to the big fights happening on Fox. They could, most of them could be happening on Showtime. Showtime has said they increased their budget, and they could be getting all the really good fights out of the PBC with Fox just serving as the feeder system. In the limited evidence we have, you can already point to signs here that support this theory. Let's take a look at the welterweight division. One of the really surprising things for me in this rollout to see was how many welterweights were actually fighting on Fox. Like, they weren't matched up too tough. They're probably getting some good exposure on network TV and matches they should win. But if I was Steven Espinoza, Espinoza, like, I wouldn't have just... he Espinoza wouldn't have just let this prime inventory go without getting something in return. And he's already hinted that Showtime will be getting welterweight unification fights in the fall. Remember, out of all the welterweight, fightles, welterweight fights that PBC is doing, Pacquiao Broner is on Showtime. I mean, it's Showtime pay-per-view, but Showtime got that one. And you have to think that come, like, sort of later spring and summer and the next round of those top welterweight fights, they will probably be on Showtime. Like, <clears throat> even when you look at the three pay-per-views that got announced by the PBC, and I've talked at length about this in my last episode, like, the best candidate to be a true stinker is the one on Fox. And, and when I say stinker, I mean in terms of, of financial level. I mean, it, it could still be a fine fight, the one on Fox, and, and obviously Wilder and Fury could be high pressure, high intensity, but kind of like, you know, Tyson Fury has a history of not making great fights, but like, if you look at the overall stinker in terms of what it does for people's careers, like, that's the Fox pay-per-view. That's not the Showtime ones. This isn't like, look, the bottom line here is Showtime may end up getting stronger because of this Fox deal. I mean, we don't know that, of course. The prevailing wisdom was that Showtime had such good cards top to bottom in 2018. That was mostly due to the lack of options for PBC. But now the Stay Busy fights or building fights may end up on Fox and Showtime could end up with the best product still. We'll see. I mean, Showtime hasn't announced that many fights yet, but this is one potential outcome that isn't crazy at all. And I mean, in summary here, you've heard a lot of ruminations and rumblings and possible Machiavellian outcomes, all kinds of outcomes ranging from boring fights to possibly great successes. Like, that's the crazy part of this deal. That's why I've said repeatedly it has the highest variance. There's no clear-cut intelligent strategy that comes out of this. That's not to say that I think it's stupid. It's not. I just it just doesn't strike me as an important part of Fox's schedule, and there's not that much thought behind it. This podcast probably sounds like we're having a beer at a bar or something, like talking about boxing deals for that reason. I mean, like, there's a huge bro science part of what's happening here, as opposed to, like, a reasoned, well-thought-out strategy. And I guess the part that people don't realize, it might not necessarily be a bad thing for Fox. In their mind, they're kind of getting a pretty good price and a product that could be a utility player for them. What I've talked about a lot on this podcast is that <clears throat> boxing used to be looked at as expensive and kind of a tough sport to televise, but for a variety of reasons we've been over, including other sports getting prohibitively, prohibitively expensive, other TV programming getting 
crazy expensive. The changing demos and popularity of boxing and like kind of what the TV industry defines right now as a success. Like this might just be a dart that Fox is throwing at the board. And if they get okay ratings for 60 million bucks and they can fill all their scheduling gaps, you know, maybe cross promote it with a few other live events, you know, crossover some audiences, football, baseball, and WWE. It's all probably a win for them. They may not be interested in televising the biggest at least terrestrial TV fights in the sport. And that's okay. I mean, I know they've talked about pay-per-view, but what does that really mean? I think when they televise Spence Garcia and see what the fiscal realities of that are, they may not want to do four pay-per-view shows a year. That's kind of crazy. I think there are audiences out there for these level of fights. They're probably not the audiences that will cause the sport to thrive. But how is it a bad thing when you get boxing on Fox and ESPN along with the subscription services? If you don't want to watch, you don't have to. Especially if Espinoza uses this to build better fights on Showtime, you know, which may or may not be happening. Like, I have no inside information on that. I'm just sort of ruminating. Like, what do I care? As long as I get to see him, I'm still going to pay for Showtime no matter what. Here's the thing. This is a precarious time in the sport of boxing. It's a stretch to say that boxing is going to work out on all these broadcasting entities. I mean, it's probably not. Showtime is the industry leader right now, but I've talked about this before. I have my doubts as they shift into the new universe that boxing will be such an obvious core part of their programming. I'm not making any bold Aram or Hearn claims that they're going to be out of business in a year. But I do think there's a very realistic pathway for them to be in major trouble in a few years, maybe out. ESPN seems to be on sound footing. They've worked well with Top Rank to have a sustainable amount of boxing distributed in several different ways. Their challenge is much more about defining what level of fight they're putting on what sort of platform rather than proving that their deal is successful. I mean, of course, they need to make sure that the level of fights is still high enough that they maintain the rating success. I mean, if they just turn this into a a cash grab too, it's not going to work out. With the PVC and Fox, though, we're seeing really mixed signals. While it does look like Fox is going to be committed to educating its talent in other sports about boxing, like who the fighters are, what the public wants, and we'll likely see the marketing material soon, and and, and the studio shows too. We'll we'll see those. We know the initial fights aren't great. Core fans are just going to look at some of these, and they might think, oh, it's the same old Al Heyman based on the fights alone. I'd preach to have a little patience. See what the entire year looks like. But like many, I'm not confident it'll get a lot better. And despite what I said earlier about Fox may being okay with this deal, like these fights may not get them there. It feels like this is the bare minimum effort put forth by the PBC to get the bare minimum results. And these may not do it. I mean, I'm agnostic. I don't have a horse in this race. But we don't know enough about this deal to say here, sit here and say, this is truly a four-year, $240 million deal. If the PBC isn't hitting certain numbers by the end of year one, it may not be that. PBC and boxing in general could just be sort of like a fling for Fox. I mean, we know they're committed to football, baseball, and the WWE. More to come on this because there's a lot of different pathways this deal could go. Every network has a much more defined relationship with the sport. I mean, I didn't even mention DAZN in this last sort of wrap-up. 
they're clearly depending on the sport. Fox isn't depending on boxing right now for anything. It just feels like much more of an experiment. But again, more on this to come. I think, I think practice patience, we may see some better stuff coming in the fall. The optimist in me hopes that some of it ends up on Fox, some of it ends up on Showtime. But at the end, I don't really care. Like, I just want to see the big fights get made. If the set of fights are on Fox and Fox sells enough ads to justify $60 million, and I get the really good stuff on Showtime, what do I care? Fox is free. So that's my take for now. Let's revisit this because, like I said, there's a huge part of this where nobody really knows anything yet, and we're just guessing. I don't like being in that. Like At this point, if you listen to this podcast, you know I like really well thought out, well-reasoned, like high-level strategy coming along where we really build to certain things. This just isn't that. Anyways, on to the preview section. <clears throat> on Friday, Jan- uh, November 30th, Jeff Horn fights Anthony Medine. On ESPN Plus, Horn is about a 5 or 6 to 1 favorite. Horn should win this fight. Should probably make some good money doing it. And given the name he's earned himself, that's probably important to top rank because I'm sure they could use him. They need to make good fights at welterweight. They're signing a ton of them right now. On Saturday, December 1st from LA, Showtime is putting on two cards. First is a card on regular Showtime with Adonis Stevenson fighting Alexander Gvazdek for the WBC and Lineal light heavyweight titles. It's basically a pick em fight. Uh, the only thing I've seen so far has Gbostic as a ever so slight favorite. Uh, it's a great matchup and something I'm looking forward to. It sounds like the Chavez Jr. fight against Angulo isn't happening, so best of luck to the next opponent who doesn't take upfront money to fight Chavez Jr. Okay, in the pay per view portion of the night for Showtime. Went over this at length last episode. Deontay Wilder fighting Tyson Fury for the WBC and lineal heavyweight titles. I want to be clear here. I'm actually really, despite how negative I was in the last episode on the actual pay-per-view part of the business of this, I want to be clear here. I'm really looking forward to the actual fight. I think it's one of those crazy fights that either ends up in a Wilder KO or Tyson Fury winning at least 9 or 10 Maybe even just posting a complete 12-round shutout on the cards. <clears throat> I just don't think Deontay Wilder, while he may be one of the best power punchers we've seen, regardless of weight class in this generation, or maybe even the last few generations, he's just not that good of a technical fighter. If he didn't have elite power, he'd probably have a few losses right now. You know, I think he does have excellent conditioning, which we saw in the Ortiz fight, but Fury's level of skill is just in a different universe. And that doesn't mean we won't see a first, second, or third round KO victory for Wilder. Well, we could easily see Fury win almost every minute of every round. It makes for a fascinating fight. I don't think it's going to be that rewatchable, but <clears throat> in the heat of the moment, with the tension of can Wilder land that punch, it does make a fascinating fight. The odds reflect this. Wilder's a favorite, but no one even has him at 2-1. to one. He's like between minus 140 and minus 175. And that means it's about as close as to a coin flip as we'll see in the sport. If you force me to make a pick, 
I'm going to say Wilder by KO, but I think it's just below 50% outcome on that. I think a Fury decision is a smidge below that in the outcome ranges, and I think there's a very small chance of anything other than those two things happening. Ultimately, I think this is a very important fight, but, you know, this is just the start of it at heavyweight. Anthony Joshua, to me, is going to have to eventually fight both these guys to be viewed as the man. So, more on that later. At least not in this episode, but later down the road. Also on the card, <clears throat> Jared Hurd versus Jason Wellborn, Luis Ortiz versus Travis Kaufman, Joe Joyce versus Joe Hanks. The odds here reflect how much of a joke this undercard is. Hurd and Joyce are between 75 and 100 to 1. Ortiz is about 25 to 1. Betting odds, as I always say, they don't tell the entire story. I mean, especially when you look at the comebacks for the underdogs, a lot of them are like plus 1,600 to plus 2,000 because sportsbooks don't want to go broke. But what they're really saying is at those odds, the opponents have somewhere between like a 1% and 5% chance of winning. I'll pass. I'll watch the stevenson Glasdick fight. I'll go hang out with my family, and then I'm going to a movie theater to watch the actual fight because I can't make it down due to family commitments to Staples Center. You know, for the whole show, it's, it was a little bit frustrating for me, but fortunately, lots of movie theaters in LA and New York showing it. I'm going to see it at, at a movie theater I can walk to in Playa Vista. All right. <clears throat> um, on Saturday, December 8th, there's several cards. Let's do the biggest one first. Vasily Lomachenko takes on Jose Pedraza on ESPN after the Heisman Trophy presentation. While the main event is not going to be competitive, I think the initial odds are something like 20, 25 to 1. It's a pretty strong card. Isaac Dogbe fights Emmanuel Navarrete. Tiafimo Lomez, or Tiafimo Lopez, sorry, fights Mason Menard. HBO has a card that night too featuring Cecilia Brekus in the main event fighting Alexandra Mag Magziak Lopez and Chocolatito Gonzalez is fighting Pedro Guevara. Actually, I think that fight just got changed um, to an Estrada fight. Clarissa Shields coming back quickly, fighting Femke Hermans. Um, DeZone also doing a Kell Brook from the U fight from the UK where he's like a 100-to-1 favorite. I have a lot to say about all these fights, especially the HBO ones. Let's start there. Where it might strike you as odd that HBO didn't televise a women's boxing match for 44 years, and then this spring included Cecilia Brekus in the Triple G Martirosian broadcast, which happened as kind of a series of happy accidents. And now, on the final card, after seeing another one, we saw the Heather Hardy car, the Heather Hardy fight. We're seeing two out of the three fights in the triple header being women's fights. Um, I'm sure social justice warriors are rejoicing over this news. I actually think it's a pretty cynical way to go out for this, for the, of the sport for HBO. You put on two women's fights that aren't competitive at all. There's not even odds out on them yet, but I'm sure it's going to be 30, 40, 50 to 1. Um, I truly don't know why HBO is doing this. And I actually like women's boxing. I talk about it on the show. Um, I love it. I think it can make really good TV. I thought the Heather Hardy fight was good. Um, Katie Taylor put a, had a great fight on the zone. If HBO really wanted to go out a high note, they would have figured out a way to honor all of their contractual obligations earlier 
and gone out on a major event, that part is really frustrating. I've talked about this a lot in previous episodes, enough on it, but to go out like this when you could have gone out on the Triple G Canelo fight and maybe done that Derevchenko Jacobs fight before it in the buildup, I mean, that just it, it doesn't make any sense at all to me. The ESPN card is actually a solid one. I mean, the main event is a cakewalk. I do want to say in their defense, there's really only a few legit fights out there for Lomachenko that aren't cakewalks. And we kind of got one of them last time out against Linares. I would get a lot more excited about watching this if I knew Loma was fighting Mikey Garcia, but he's clearly not. Mikey Garcia is fighting Errol Spence. I don't know why. Aram has done some interviews where he's talked about a big game, you know, game plan coming up for Loma in 2019. We can talk more about that, you know, assuming he wins this fight. The other fighters, the fighters on the card are exciting. I want more Isaac Dogbay and Tiafimo Lopez in my life. These fights are like good tests for them. I think Dogbay, the first line I saw on him was like 9 or 10 to 1. I'm sure Lopez is a favorite too. I'm expecting them both to come out with wins. And I'm sure what the official odds are from betting sites, they'll reflect that. Um... For undercard fights, I'm not mad about seeing this, like these level of guys in fights where we're clearly going to learn something about them. And I think like if you're going to make a, distin- a distinguishing factor when you look at odds, <clears throat> I kind of separate it at, at 10 to 1 for a favorite. You're probably looking at 5 or 6 to 1 for the comeback for the underdog. So you're basically saying, I mean, 10 to 1, you're saying there's a 9% chance the underdog's going to win. But but five to one, you know, if you're betting on the underdog, like that's kind of what you're saying. Like, okay, maybe it's closer to 20% chance. And I think at that point, what you're just really looking for is a, is a, a quote unquote, like pathway to victory. Like if the underdog employs this strategy, they have, and, and they succeed at it, they have a real chance of winning. Um, and I think like, so I, I sort of look at 10 to one as like right about the dividing line where you're kind of like, okay, this fight could be competitive, you know, it could be fun TV. And with, you know, Dog Bay is, uh, Tifimo Lopez is definitely a prospect, but with Dog Bay, he's, he's a young champion. And with these kind of guys, I do want to see them in the big unification fights, but I'm okay if they're on an undercard especially on a big, like, higher-profile card like this that has Lomachenko, I'm okay with it if we're going to learn something and if it's going to be good TV. Um, and I, that doesn't just go for top rank. I think that goes for, for every promotional company across the board. Um, I don't care about the Kelbrook fight, whatever. <clears throat> okay. I hope everybody had a nice Thanksgiving. I hope they enjoy the holiday period that we're approaching. There are usually really strong fights in December. This year is no exception. I mean, we've got a few more cards than normal. Other stuff. I wrote an article, which was an extension of my last podcast, talking about PBC pay-per-views that are coming in strong. Um, I hope everyone had a chance to read it. It was it was on ringtv.com. For those, uh, I, for those on social media, I've tweeted it out. And there's actually been a lot of sort of discussion around it, um, you know, in the article itself uh, and and some social media. I love all that. Um, just go to Ring TV if you're not on social media and check it out. Um, Fistinato's commentary. It's on the PBC pay-per-views. 
I'll be back in two weeks to preview the Canelo fight um, as well as Fox first show and then all the other stuff. There's a bunch of other foreign fights happening on December 22nd. Like I said earlier, not sure what I'm going to do for the deep dive. Maybe look at a weight class. Maybe just sort of look at a bunch of news and notes. Um, email me if, if you have another idea for something you want to, you want to hear about. I mean, sure. Uh, <clears throat> after that, I'm definitely going to do an end of the year show during the holidays. Um, and once again, I love hearing from you guys on so, social media email, especially if you have an intelligent disagreement with me. Um, I like it when you agree with me too, obviously, but that's just us nodding heads at each other. Love it when there's intelligent discussion with sort of quality information from both sides. I think I've really had a, a great fun experience on social media. I've only had to block one person, which what I've learned from talking with other people is that's completely out of the norm for this sport. Um, so I think that's a credit to everyone interacting with me. Uh, enjoy the fights guys. I will talk to you in two weeks. Goodbye. Did you get what you was looking for?